This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. On today's episode, we continue our yearly tradition of having an episode dedicated to Halloween. Starting way back in 2016 on episode 29, where Rachel the First and I made recommendations based on genres. Over the years, we did more genre-based picks, a make-remake on Dracula, and one on the unholy trinity of folk horror. We are back with another great Halloween episode, but first some housekeeping and catching up to get out of the way. It's been a weird time for ContraZoom. On the previous 10 episodes dating back to mid-August, both Rachel and I were only on two shows together. It feels like I don't even know you anymore. So how have you been, Rachel? It's good. I'm glad that we resolved our feud. Um, yes. <laughs> and we were able to record again together. I'm, I'm happy that we put everything to rest. Yes, good. the, the feud of you recording yeah. and me editing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I'm glad we were able to put all that to bed and that we can finally come back together and record an episode. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, of uh, you and Pierre shitting on me and my movie taste. Yeah. <laughs> Has it really been 10 episodes, though? That's nuts. It yeah, going back to, I, I'm counting basically from uh, after the Fantasia Festival wrap-up, uh, because obviously before that, we did basically were doing everything together. But yeah, there's been 10 episodes yeah. after that, and only two of them, uh, which was the TIFF preview and the Rover, were, were both on them. And even the Rover, we recorded that one. Like, that was a weird one, yeah. Order. We recorded that a little bit early, so... Yeah. That doesn't even really count because I didn't Several even weeks talk to before, you that. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, you know, we weren't talking during that time period. <laughs> it, was, it was a tough time. Yeah. It was a tough time for Consciousness. It was, you know, we were, it was a lot of, it was a lot of unsent messages, just <laughs> leaving it on red, that kind of thing. That's, yeah. that's the way it went. I, uh, I must say, I love this uh, feud persona we now have both on the <laughs> podcast and on our social media platforms where we're both yeah. passive aggressive yeah. towards each other. Absolutely. This is this is what makes the podcast great. This is what the drama is what brings people back. That's what Yeah, and is. then you got like people like Callum or Jeff who like every once in a while chime in or Brody or Alex, stuff like that. <laughs> it's like um uh it's like a reality show and then we have like a forum where people yes. discuss you know, <laughs> our drama. Like <laughs> yeah, our drama. It's exactly what it is. Uh, but I'm good though. Thank you. It's yeah. It's been it's been it's been a minute since we've since we've recorded. How have you been, Dakota? I've been great. Yeah. I you know it's been it's obviously a part of the reason why we haven't been recording together is because we did TIFF and then VIF, and so you know you're in Toronto, so you do the TIFF stuff. I'm in Vancouver. I do the VIF stuff, and so there's a natural separation there between us mm-hmm. just for doing that. So it's sort of interesting. We're like. Uh, it's just like I'm on a time delay with what you're seeing out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just actually very true. You are on a time delay. And then also I just don't like Tusk and I did not feel like doing an episode about it, but I also wasn't feeling very well. But yeah, generally speaking, just didn't, didn't want to, not that I didn't, I, if I was healthy, I would have done it. Well, that's a terrific segue because my (laughs) next thing was you missed last week's A24 retrospective and I am dying to hear your thoughts on the discussion and your own personal thoughts on Tusk. I will say, I think you had the benefit of however many years have passed since Tusk came out of hearing how much people hated it. And I won't say I like, I hate it. I just don't get the 
point of the movie. Like I watch it and I just think that was a waste of time. Like I don't, that's just it. It was a waste of time. But I feel like because you've had, when did it come out? How many years? 2014. Ago? Is it now? So almost a decade. Oh, not, so nine so not as, yeah, not as long as I thought it was actually. I thought it was a bit longer. Um, yeah, but you've, you have effectively have had 10 years of hearing about how much people don't like the movie. Cause generally speaking, I think people don't like it. Yes. Um, and so when you go to watch it, your feeling is this is going to be the worst thing I've ever seen. But then you watch it and you go, actually, it's not as bad as people say it is, which is what always happens when you hear too much about a movie, whether it's overhyped or really underhyped. Although I don't think Tusk is underhyped. I think it's a silly, stupid movie. That is, <laughs> it does nothing. Like I just don't, whatever. I don't get it. And, um, but I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you guys had, uh, seemed to have a good time discussing it. Um, yeah. So, Good. I, I do not have a double bill pairing. No, for nothing movie, prepared for that. I could, no. I could say it could just any other movie. Like just watch something else. As a <laughs> to just cleanse your palate. I just don't, and I don't like Tusk. Like I am one of those people who staunchly, actively dislikes it because, yeah, I just think it's a waste of time. It's just a waste of. It's a waste of film, and it might not have been filmed on film, but it's a waste of film. It's so funny where you you were sort of sending me messages saying that you were listening to it, and I totally expect you <laughs> to start calling me out for my once again super bougie double bill pairing pick, and I got nothing. So like, wh- where is it? Where's the passive aggressive? I chose a, a 1930s horror movie, and I and you got nothing for me because I literally have never heard of it. And then also though, not only had I never heard of it, but when I read the was it the synopsis or maybe it's the poster of the movie? I won't lie. It just kind of made me laugh a little bit <laughs> like the, like the what's okay. Yeah. So the poster, it's just on the very top says, can a full grown woman f- truly love a midget? I'm like, what kind of <laughs> oh my God. Is this? That's literally on the poster. I was like, what is this movie that Dakota just picked? <laughs> and so it didn't feel bougie because it's, it's a weird tagline on a film, on a film poster. I'll, I'll a, a say tagline this. that definitely is is of its time. Like you could not yes. put that on a poster today. I'll, I'll say this. You know, it's a movie from the 1930s, but considering the the subject matter, I feel like it's handled pretty tactfully. And in fact, is it it, it goes to show that the like the, the, basically the moral of the movie is the people uh, without any physical disabilities are the real monsters in the world, sort of thing. So it's kind of, I guess, like the, um, you know, the discussion that people have today about like ableism and yes. things like that. Yeah. So and was, considering it was like 1932, it, it's done really yeah, well. Yeah. And it is a genuinely unnerving movie, too. I'll have to watch it. Like, I, I think that's why I just I, I remember hearing it, thought I do not know what this movie is. And then I looked it up and then I think the wiki page um the poster is the image for the wiki page i just read it i was like why yeah. is dakota picking a movie that's <laughs> talking about a full-grown woman can she truly love a midget i'm like that's that's weird yeah. but the way okay you you make it sound better awesome <laughs> i'll check it out one day that yeah it sounds, it sounds interesting yeah especially for the time period you're right like that that's really interesting and it's the the, the director is todd browning who did the original dracula as well yeah which hey no 
yeah. what a tie-in to, Ooh, a little to bit, our current bit. episode. Um, but before, a little bit more housekeeping. You also have some very exciting news. You, alongside um, friend of the show, Alicia Moogle, and hopefully future friend of the show, Rose Ho, just launched a new site. So tell us all about it. Yeah, we, the three of us came together and we have a new site called the Asian Cut, C-U-T. Um, and it's just a website that is going to focus exclusively on Asian-led and Asian-produced, Asian-written, directed, so on and so forth, films and TV shows as well, and potentially even plays. Like, we actually oh. got some interest about plays, yeah, which maybe I'm, I'm going to be a theater critic, like that's Ooh, something. Oh, now who's yeah. <laughs> I know it'd be super bougie to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we, we just were interested in wanting, how can I put this? We wanted to make a website that celebrated Asian film from Asia, but also Asian artists in the diaspora. So basically like the three of us, like we, we, you know, grew up in, in, uh, in the West. Um, and that kind of creates a bit of a different discussion different mindset than um what i call the real asian people who live in actual asia um (laughs) so yeah we wanted to do a site that was about asian films by asian people um who have an interest in asian films and and promoting asian artists and we also wanted it to be a place that we could have new and established asian writers um film critics you know film journalists who want to talk about some movies that maybe other outlets don't really want to give them the time to do because it's a smaller movie or uh, maybe it's a very old movie or whatever. Um, And yeah, so we just wanted to kind of build a bit of a community and it's uh, very new. We're still working to get uh, content onto the website, but Alicia's got a great review of a Persian film um, called, I want to say the night Um, I've got an interview with Andrew Chung on there uh, who directed a movie called White Elephant and it's going to be on that's on CBC Gem now in Canada. Um, Yeah, so it's it's a work in progress, but we're all very excited about it. So, yeah, thank you for for giving me that little little shout out. Also, I want to point out Rose and I have the same last name, but we are not related. You know, I'm not going to be racist. (laughs) You you wondered that, didn't you? (laughs) No. (laughs) Don't throw me under this metaphorical racist. Bus. You wondered that, didn't you? I knew you did. <laughs> um, so, does this mean that you will not allow me to write an essay on Seven Samurai or Akira Kurosawa because I am not Asian? So, the tricky thing is the yeah, tricky yes. thing. What's the tricky about thing about just how how much do we want to discriminate? Is basically <laughs> what we were talking about, but. You know, I I hope people do understand. Like we we are looking specifically for Asian writers, um, and yeah, and I and I do get that this is a form of discrimination, da 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 da, and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a bit complicated, it's a bit tricky to talk to talk in those parameters about because I do understand that it's potentially not fair, but at the same time. Um, yeah, we just, we had, um, a bit of a a mandate for the site that it was going to be for Asian writers who might not, you know, might not do it full time, who might, um, her just starting out and, or, you know, not even wanting to do it as a career. They just want to write something. And so it's just a space for them. So that's that's why. So, yeah. So, 
you as a white man can find a different website to write for. If you want to talk That's about fine. Seven Samurai, go for okay, it. I'll... You could be one of countless other white men who have been writing essays about Seven Samurai. <laughs> uh, you also wrote an article about um, uh, Flower Drum. I forget what the... Oh, yeah. Flower Drum Song. Flower Drum Song. Yeah, that's it. Which throws back uh, to the very first time you were on ContraZoom when we were talking about Mm -hmm. uh, basically Asian-American movies. And uh, and that was one that you were referencing referencing then. Yeah, and that essay actually came about because of that episode that we did. Um, You know, it just, I had done all this research about the movie and it was a movie that up, up until that point I had no idea about. Um, and it's funny when I put it up, like Rose and Alicia both um, hadn't heard of it either. So it's one of those kind of quieter Asian films. And that's the kind of thing that we're hoping to do is to like get more eyes on some of the history with Asian American films, right? Like not specifically American, but you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Asian, Asian diasporic. I don't think that's a word. <laughs> um, but yeah. And we're also looking to cover like Asia proper. So not yeah. just East. Um, but we want to look at like Southeast Asia and um, the Pacific Islands and uh, Central Asia, which has a really interesting film community. And, you know, like I said, Alicia did a, um, a review on a Persian movie um, and of course, South Asian as well, like the big Bollywood films that, I mean, we're never going to be able to write about every single Bollywood movie out there, but yeah, we, we want to try to make it as wide in scope for, for Asian film as possible no that's really cool i'm very excited to see what the three of you are able to do because i I feel like this is a terrific idea and i I, like i already have visions of like what you're going to be able to pull together and the type of people that are going to want to contribute to this site i think it's going to be a a pretty spectacular thing that you're building thank you even though you can't even write on it i appreciate that i can read it and enjoy it (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward. Like, I'm excited. It's it's uh, something that we've been talking about for a few months. And then in the last, I'd say, last month, really, that we really ramped it up and, and got everything together. So, yeah. So, work in progress, but we're getting there. And we're going to keep trucking on. Nice. And, of course, you will be able to find that in the show notes, as always. Uh, and then the last thing, uh, you also have a new job title at Exclaim Magazine. I want to <laughs> congratulate you on becoming the film editor. That's huge news. Thank you. Yeah, this is my – this is the thing I was very low-key about sharing. Yeah. <laughs> about just kind of – yeah, so it's it's cool. I'm now in charge of the film section of um, Exclaim, and I've been writing for them for – I think about a year now, maybe a bit over a year, like a year and a half at this point. Um, yeah, it's a great group. Like, I mean, they started off as a music magazine and they still do obviously a lot of music. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been fun to build out the film section and hopefully get some like interesting, cool, especially like Canadian movies. That's what I'm more looking yeah. towards. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a new, it's definitely a new role for me and I'm still trying to get acclimatized with it, uh, but it's been fun so far. Nice. Yeah. So you go from being uh, co-owners with uh, Alicia on the Asian cut and being her boss at Exclaim. Yeah, it was kind of awkward <laughs> when Alicia and I, <laughs> when I, when I first went to Alicia with that, I was not the film editor. And now, and then after I went, oh, this kind of feels like, am I pressuring her to do this? <laughs> like, I don't want to feel like that. But yeah, I, I, to be clear, I did talk to her about it before 
any of this film editor thing came about. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I'm trying not to like force anyone who writes for exclaim to write for the Asian cut. Cause I think that's what they call a conflict of interest. <laughs> hey, you're Korean. You should write for this as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like racist coercion is basically what that is. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have to do so much editing on this episode. Oh my gosh! <laughs> to make to make both of us sound okay, yes, <laughs> overly offensive. You know, if people listen to this podcast, it'd be canceled by now. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we can continue on our little feud and just continue to record separately, and then Excellent. eventually we just dive off. Yeah, <laughs> you can have ContraPod, and I can have Zoom Pod, and that's how we'll divide it up. It'll be fine. I love, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Of uh, yeah, the Zoom pod will be uh, you, Pierre, and Simon, and uh, Contra <laughs> will be uh, me, Matthew, and Jeff. <laughs> I still need to record something with Simon. I haven't recorded anything with him yet, and so yeah, I've yeah, never, like I've spoken to him online, but I've never recorded with him. Yeah. So that's something I need to do still, or you yeah. need to do too. We should probably, I guess, do it together. Well, we'll we'll find a way to have Simon on our show, and we'll exclude Matthew. Well, that'd be funny, yeah. yeah. Or we could do. I could do another Simon. Or no, he has he. I guess he's never even been on Contrazoom Pod. Well, other than no. the crossover that we did for the VIF, right? Wrap up. So then you have recorded with Simon. What are you talking about? Oh, sorry, not Simon. Sorry, I was thinking Matthew. Sorry, no, I have not recorded at no, all. I'm stuff. like, what yeah. are you talking about? Oh, sorry, <laughs> confusion there. No, I have not recorded at uh, all with Simon, and I need to to find a reason to. Yeah. Well, we can. We can. We can, this will be part of like our olive branch between the two of us. We can yes. find something together to record with Simon and maybe Matthew. The awesome maybe. Zoom podcast or the Contra Friday <laughs> podcast. Uh, this is this is getting wildly out of hand right now. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we're now almost 20 minutes into the show and we haven't even started the actual topic. So let's get to the topic at hand. Er wird mein Essen. Ich muss heute noch zu Graf Dracula's Schloss. I mentioned how uh, on a previous Halloween special, we did a make remake on the Dracula movies, which was on episode 49, History of the Dracul with Stephanie. But now it is time to move on to the bootleg version of the undead king of Transylvania. The story of Nosferatu was that the Bram Stoker estate wouldn't grant the rights to film an adaptation of Dracula to F.W. Murnau the acclaimed German director, who's also best known for Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans, a movie that won Best Picture, unique in artistic production, at the very first Oscars in 1927, a category that was discontinued the following year. Murnau was determined to make a vampire film, so he kept the same basic premise of the novel, but changed the name of the Count from Dracula to Orlok, who was played by Max Schreck, and that's about it, with the movie coming out in 1922. The Stoker estate fought the release of the film and tried to get the film destroyed, unfortunately resulting in the truncated version that still exists today, going from a supposedly 90-minute runtime to the hour-and-a-bit one that is in circulation now. 
1979, fellow German filmmaker Werner Herzog remade the film, starring his muse Klaus Kinski in the now Dracula role, with the plot still following closer to the 22 film than the original source material. It expands on themes and characters, but it clearly owes its entire existence to the silent classic. Lastly, today, we are looking at the 2000 film Shadow of the Vampire, directed by E. Elias Merhij, as he allows the as he follows the, the rumor that the original Nosferatu, played by Max Schreck, was an actual vampire. Willem Dafoe plays the totally real vampire in this movie about a movie. So we have three unique versions of a film uh, that will allow us to approach it in the same way that the history of the Dracul conversation went, but this won't be a traditional make-remake. Instead, Rachel and I are just going to have a a free-flowing chat about these three films. So I guess to start it all off, Rachel, what is your history with these movies? Um, I'd never seen Nosferatu the Vampire, the Herzog version. I had not seen Shadow of the Vampire um, before. I didn't even know. I knew Herzog had done a version himself, and I knew it was... There was a German version and an English version. So actually, which which version did you end up seeing? I didn't even ask you that. Uh, of which? Of the original? No, the Herzog one. Did you? Oh, did you I watched get the to, German version. Did you, you watched the German version. That's funny. Yeah. I did not. I watched the English version. Oh, I, I didn't <laughs> um, even know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I was, I didn't realize there were two versions until I was looking up um, the movie. And I, like he, he had said they had, recorded everything like it's not a dub they had done it in both one take in german one take in english um and he said the german version of course is more uh what's what am i looking for it's more it's closer to what his intention for what he wanted the film to be uh, which yeah. makes sense obviously um but yeah and I, I didn't realize that and i went oh i just watched the english version <laughs> didn't even realize there was a term um but the original Nosferatu, the 1922 version, I actually watched that on a plane, um, which is not the best place to watch it. However, I did have this guy behind me also watching it um, along with me because it's a silent <laughs> movie. So, of course, you can watch it. Um, and I paused it at one point and I went to go to the bathroom. And he stopped me and he was like, he's like, hey, this is really good. I've never seen this one before. I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> it's kind of creepy, but thank you. Um and yeah, so I, I had seen the 1922 Nosferatu, probably not in the best conditions, to be fair. It was a flight to, I think, Hong Kong or something like that. And um, But the other two, completely brand new to me. And I loved, honestly, I love all three of them. Like, I am I kind of expected maybe not to really like the, the Shadow of, yeah, Shadow of the Vampire. I thought maybe it would be a bit much. Um I loved it. And I know you probably have different thoughts on it. I think it's a great movie though. So yeah, all positive though. I love that. Like I, I love when we do one of these types, like roundup kind of episodes of a bunch of different movies. And I like all of them because it doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, I feel like, I, I guess I'll start with my history too. I've seen the original Nosferatu. Uh, I probably about uh, 10 years ago or so. I, on a whim oh. bought it on DVD uh, from Amazon. It was one of those things where I'm just like, Hey, I, I know this is like a, an important movie sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I read about it in, in different like film history books and stuff like that. So I was like, I'm, I'm kind of curious about it. So I, I bought it and this is like in my, I don't, I still don't like horror movie phase where, uh, <laughs> 
like I watch almost nothing scary in my life. And so this was like me like, all right, this is me dipping in my toes and like starting from the beginning sort of thing. Uh, and I, and I really liked it. Like it's a, it's a fantastic film considering when it's made the limitations of, of technology, all the mm-hmm. sort of stuff, the fact that, uh, it's it's a shame because the Stoker estate tried so hard to um, remove from circulation this movie. The original prints do not exist anymore, so the only copies were already copies of the copy of the original negative. So it's not. It's a movie that is not in great shape. It is very grainy. Uh, there's a lot of dirt and grime on the print itself. So it's it's not a very especially good looking transfer. Um, so that's a bit of a shame for film history buffs like like us sort of thing. Um, but it's still a, a great film. Sorry, do you find that that kind of adds to the movie a little bit? Like the fact that it is imperfect, that the print is, you know, dirty and burnt and all this kind of stuff. Like it kind of just adds to the atmosphere and the history and the context um, of the film itself. It 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 sort of works for this film in particular. Yeah. If it if it was a different film, I'd I'd probably complain a bit more, being like, ah, oh, like a, mm. it, it's a shame that it's not a better quality to really appreciate the artistry. But it like it, it's not this, but it almost like has a bit of like a a snuff film to it. Like we're watching something that we shouldn't be watching. Almost. That's interesting. I never thought about that. I wouldn't have thought yeah. of Nosferatu's as snuff film. Um, but I I hadn't seen the other ones yeah yes obviously way worse than that Um, (laughs) I had never seen the 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 Herzog one and I and I hadn't Mm -hmm. seen the 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 latest one the Willem Dafoe performance Uh, but yeah I I I really I have a fondness for the original I really love the Herzog one because I think it did a great job of expanding on the original while still being true to it. And Shadow of the Vampire is uh, features a really good performance by Willem Dafoe. <laughs> um, it's so funny. Did you not find it funny? I thought it was I like, found it hilarious, hilarious, except for I don't think I'm supposed to find it hilarious. Oh, I think you are, though. I think that's the whole point. Like, I think really? that it's meant to show. I think so. I think you're meant to show. I, I also should say that I... Like two days ago, literally two days before watching Shadow of the Vampire, I was listening to an NPR podcast uh, about it was an it was one episode about method acting, and it was just talking about the history of um, like Stanislavski and Stella Adler and and you know all that stuff, and so and I I genuinely did not know that Shadow of the Vampire had anything to do with that, um, so I had listened to that. Like two days later, I watched this movie and it maybe that kind of added to me because there was one line somebody goes, he's just some Stanislavski lunatic. And I really <laughs> cracked up laughing from that. It just made me laugh. But I, I think it's meant to be funny. Like, I think it's meant to show, be like ridiculous and absurd and funny. Like that to me is, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to be laughing, but I really do think it was meant to be funny like that. Well, let's, uh, let's backtrack a little bit and, and start with the first one, uh, it, it's a pretty bare bones movie as far as like the plot mm-hmm. actual goes. Uh, the, the basic premise of Nosferatu is obviously if you've seen any Dracula movie, you kind of know it, especially the more faithful adaptations. But you've got Jonathan Harker who works for a real estate company, and his boss, who we later learn is is being possessed, controlled by 
by uh, Count Orlok is his name, not Nosferatu, um, Count Orlok, who uh, sends him to the far-off land of Transylvania to sell him a estate, basically, to move to Germany. And as he comes over to Germany, he takes a boat and basically brings with him a plague that is simultaneously both the the real, like a sort of a stand-in for the Black Death Plague being, you know, spread by rats, but also uh, him killing people, they're able to chalk it up to the plague because uh, his victims obviously have bite marks like rat victims would have sort of thing more or less um, rat that victims very <laughs> but, yeah you know are these super villains the rats um <laughs> you know the what rat I mean. men they come yeah, out the, the rat, rat men, men. <laughs> um but that's more or less the entire plot is really like it's about uh, a mm-hmm. guy going over to Transylvania, bringing back uh, evil with him, who uh, who then unleashes death upon Germany. And it basically uh, Jonathan Harker's wife, Mina Harker, is the only way she's the only one that can stop him by basically sacrificing herself uh, in the end is able to kill him. And that's sort of the, the basic bare bones plot. And I think Nosferatu really sort of just stick to it. It's the version that they have is, I think it's like 67 minutes or something like that. So there's almost no time wasted. You, you sort of just get right into it. It, it moves along beat by beat. Uh, and I think it does a really, really good job. And there's some kind of creepy, real creepy special effects that they do. Max Shrek, who plays Nosferatu, is just absolutely terrifying, just sort of like skulking in the background with like these big imposing shadows showing his like long fingernails and like his ears and all that sort of stuff. So they they do a really great job at, at filming him and, and using a lot of shadows and a lack of light to really highlight the horror. Uh, but I, I really love this movie. I love the movie. I think it's, it's kind of an interesting um it's like a bit of an interesting side discussion, I suppose, of just like loving a movie because of the history behind it and what it means and like the the craft of it, because this is obviously made on a, you know, not the same budget as, you know, like Shadow of the Vampire or uh, Nosferatu the Vampire and like the technology as well, obviously is very, very different. Um, and so what they're able to accomplish with those what we perceive as now restrictions, but for at the time it was just reality. Right. So mm-hmm. you take all of that into consideration and that's what makes it a great film kind of thing. Whereas perhaps if like you just objectively looked at it in a vacuum, you'd kind of be like, Oh, I, I still actually, I backtrack on what I just said. I think if you looked at it in a vacuum, <laughs> it's still a pretty incredible piece of art. Um, but it it is different. Like it's one of those types of movies. It would never get made today. Right. Like it just, they used what, they had existing to them. And so one of the things that the movie's most well known for too, is like the lighting, which I found just incredible, like what they're able to do showing, you know, the different shadows and, and, you know, you mentioned the transfer of the, the copies and great, but like they do kind of play with, with the different lights and, and things. It's, 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 I found it a really interesting piece of artwork almost as a, even though I know, I know film is art, but um, like artwork in the sense of, you know, paintings, drawings, pictures, like that kind of a thing. That for me is where this film falls into almost um, versus filmmaking. If that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I think it does. And, and I think that's an important aspect to look at when you're watching. I think if, if you're like us where you're super in the weeds with, with movies and movie history, 
where you can watch something like this and be utterly enthralled and at the end of it be like, mm-hmm. you know, on like a on like a purely entertainment level, it's fine. But what mm-hmm. it means mm-hmm. and and the legacy it has in the time period that it comes from, that this movie is literally a hundred years old. This is yeah. a hundred year old movie. It's incredible We're, to think about that, isn't it? Yeah, like, I think that that that's so mind blowing to me. Like we just watched a movie, like a hundred year old movie. I watched yeah. it on my computer. Like that's kind of nuts to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I I think I think that you're able to sort of compartmentalize what the distinction between uh, reasons why you think this is a good movie and what works for and what doesn't work because you know you're able to approach it with a lens of. A hundred, literally a hundred years of, of movie watching mm-hmm. experiences of cinema going and being like, well, you know, as far as uh, the way the plot advancement might have gone or editing or, you know, just different storytelling techniques have evolved so much in a hundred years. E- even comparing this movie, like obviously between this and the Hertog one, it's like completely different Very planets, different. basically. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, the 10 years of 1922 to 1932 it was a huge leap in technolo- technological advancement in the film industry. And I don't just mean like the quality of the cameras. It's true. Yeah. And I think another aspect to it that's interesting is it is very much so made now to, like we can take this with a pinch of salt and we all kind of take it for not truly understanding it, but it's made for a German audience. Yes. Right. And we're, we're not German. So, and we're not Germans from the 1920s either. So it's like it was made very specifically because in 1922 they have no concept of this movie is going to be shown in a hundred years from now. <laughs> a couple kids from Canada are going to be able to watch it. Like they don't think about it that way. Like <laughs> yeah. the movie is very directed to a very specific audience and it's made by that audience as well. And I find that a really interesting lens to watch it through as well. Just saying like the sensibility, the, you know, the mannerisms, what they thought was going to be appealing, what they thought was going to be scary, um, what they thought was going to be even controversial. Um, That's all baked into a lot of history. And I like, that's why I love old movies. You know, I know some people have a bit of a difficult time sometimes watching old movies. Um, But I always found it just really interesting from a historical point of view that like, like you said, in, in the 10 years from 1922 to 1932, the Hollywood changes or the movie industry around the world changes incredibly, um, like so significantly in a way that I don't know if we've really seen that sharp of a change um, since then. And in that, it, like, it's very much so intertwined with just world history and the way that societies have, have moved on. So yeah, I, I love these kinds of movies for that aspect. And I think Nosferatu, the interesting, to me, the most interesting about it is that it does just remind me of like, it's moving artwork. And um, I, I know tech, again, I know technically that's what movies are. They're moving pictures and moving <laughs> art, but, but it's just in, it's in a very different way. Like I wouldn't, con- like I wouldn't look at um, like Herzog's version. I wouldn't say that that is moving artwork. Like it mm-hmm. is a moving picture. Yes, of course, but it's not moving artwork. Whereas Nosferatu, to me, it's like you could take, you could make like stop motion if you wanted to and just like take grab like pictures from it because it's all just incredibly beautiful in a very very haunting way yeah yeah and and i think that's that's where the movie really stands at its best is especially whenever orlock is on screen 
Murnau did such a great job at sort of framing this as more or less this is just like quite literally these are these are moving pictures so let's let us mm-hmm. create a picture first because if you don't have the good picture yeah. first none of the, none of the rest of that matters and if you just look it up at imdb and like you look at the first photos there and like the first three are are just stills of max shrek playing orlock and it's just so evocative of the feeling of the movie and everything that went behind it and there's there's this real mystery because you know you look at the Herzog and you're like, Klaus Kinsey, okay, if you've watched any, literally any Herzog movie from his German era, you've seen a Klaus Kinsey performance. You know what that is. But there's this nice mystery behind who is this Max Shrek, which is, I guess, where Shadow of the Vampire sort of comes in. But all these characters uh, who are playing all the, the different actors who are playing these characters, we have no connection to any of them. So it's very much of like what you see on screen. That is it. That we We literally can't compare it to anything else. Yeah, it's incredible. And like I'm I'm on the IMD page IMDB page right now. And yeah, the first few pictures are great, but if you go to page two and then you just see um like the grid of all the pictures and you've got the blue tint and the pink tint and the yellow tint, it just looks incredible. Like uh, yeah. from an artistic perspective, it's just such an incredible movie to me. Um I just like it a very, very like evocative is a great word for it. Evocative piece of art that it, it we just don't make films like that anymore for, for good reason in a sense, because they had to do this. Like this is literally all they had to work with. They didn't have sound. They didn't have special effects. They didn't, you know, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. So they did what they could with it, but um, it's an, it's like, it's pretty incredible where filmmaking has come from, you know, the late 1800s to the 1920s and then to today, like what we have. And like, we have gained a lot, obviously, but I think we've lost quite a bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely one of those things where you can't recreate it, but you sort of wish that you sort of could. It, it's an interesting mm-hmm. situation. Uh, did the version you watch, was it a tinted one? Because the one that I have, that I own is not a tinted one. Yeah. Mine's tinted. Okay. Oh, yours is yeah. Tinted. Uh, mine is, uh more it's more true to the original when they released okay. it it was it was not tinted but all the the because most of the movie takes place at night because you know vampires only come out at night um mm-hmm. everything was was shot in black and white and to make it so that they could see it on screen everything is very brightly lit so they kept yeah. being like and later that night or last night this happened it is like <laughs> these hugely brightly lit scenes because they had to overcompensate because they're shooting at night still. So they, they had to re-release it later uh, where they were tinting it. And so all the night scenes were tinted blue and all the day scenes were tinted like yellowish or like sepia ish. Yeah. It looks so, so cool though. I have to, say, even if not the original, like I love, I love the color tinting on it. Cause I just think it, it adds to that. Like, cause they, they, they call it German impressionist impressionist. Impressionist. Yeah. Impressionist. That's it. Uh, it just kind of adds to that idea. I don't know why. Like, I don't I don't know much about art. I'm not an arting kind of person. Um, but, yeah, like, these little things, it, it makes me interested in art. It makes me want to, like, understand, you know, art history a little bit better. Yeah, it's it's really, it's really cool. Uh, and, of course, if, if anyone has seen this and is a fan of it, you'll, you'd also like a movie like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which sort of takes that expressionist to the next mm-hmm. level 
with like literally yeah. painted sets and, and painted shadows and stuff like that. But there, there's a very clear influence between Nosferatu and, and Dr. Caligari, especially since it's, it's both German impressionism where two of the foremost directors of that era. Which one do you prefer? Um, probably Caligari just because I think same. it's a bit more plot heavy and I also really love the visual style. Yeah, same. I'd agree with you. Both. Yeah. Both accounts. See? Agreeing yeah, with each other. Look at oh, agreeing <laughs> with each other. Now we're going to probably agree with each other a little bit more because we're going to talk about the Werner Herzog <laughs> one. Uh, would you agree that for me, it almost felt like, you know, it, it, it would, it, it's not the first time we, we've heard of, you know, quote unquote, um, shot for shot remakes. I really feel that uh, Nosferatu the Vampire, the Werner Herzog version from 1979, he really does his best to almost shot for shot remake what he can to recreate the energy and then just sort of fills out the edges a bit more. Would you sort of agree with that statement? Yeah, and I do think he puts like a Herzog kind of, not a spin, because you're right, it's very, very faithful, but he his fingerprint is definitely on this movie as well. And I always find it really impressive when um, when you're making a remake of a film to be able to do that, like to be incredibly faithful to the original, but still somehow like in little bits, like like you said, like filling out the edges in those in those edge fillingness stuff. Um, Herzog, like that's where he puts his DNA into the movie, and then it just kind of permeates throughout the whole film and it becomes undeniably to me anyways, a Herzog film. Um, one thing I really loved about this movie is it's kind of what we were talking about with the 1922 one was like uh, working within your, the parameters that they had. Um, and this movie, obvi- I mean, every movie does that. Um, but this movie, it's like 1979. So we're not into the, cgi kind of stuff yet so things are really practical so when i the the one shot that i really loved was the i guess it's like a cuckoo clock like that's their version of like a cuckoo clock but it's really creepy with the skulls and the skeletons and that kind of a thing i love that thing because i was watching and then i actually rewound it and watched it again somebody had to build that Mm -hmm. like i love the idea that somebody actually built that and created it and made it a functional cuckoo clock because today uh, they probably just do it on computer or something like that. So I like I love I really really love that and like and you can see it too. Like you can see the workmanship in it and you can see it, um, like just the effort that somebody had to put into making something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree, and I I think there's a lot of like real beauty to this movie. There's a <laughs> the the section where Nosferatu is is. Or I guess the, in this, it's Count Dracula. His his real name is that uh, coming uh, across on the ship, and that's a, a key part of the mm-hmm. original. Is you know the from the captain's log perspective of the passengers believe that there's someone in the hull of the ship. There's rats everywhere. People keep dying. We're not really sure what's going on, and so they sort of do that again. And but we get a, a little bit more with this. Like we we sort of get a bit of the perspective of of the ship crew where they're not sure what's going to happen. And so one guy literally mm-hmm. ties himself to the ship steering wheel to make sure he <laughs> can't leave because he doesn't know what's going on. And then we get this really quiet shot at the very end when it arrives into the canal into the german city and it's completely empty the streets are empty it's early in the morning and just sort of like starts hitting the wall of the canal and like scraping up against it and it's just this very haunting 
poetic shot where the camera just sort of sits there and lets this this ship come into frame and i really like it and then they, they you see afterwards this dead sailor slumped over the, the steering wheel of the ship so it does such a great job with sort of playing with the beauty of of death and i loved the shots of the rats as well um mm. i think like to what you're saying and and this is just purely um an improvement on the camera is the difference with that same sequence in the 1922 one. And this one is you get much more of like a tactile feel for things. Like you can feel the wall, you can feel, um, you know, him like slumping over and all that kind of stuff. And like the little rats that are going through, like it's just, and again, that's just technology. Like, cause we can see it that much clearer. Um, but I love that. Like I loved how real everything kind of felt and, I mean, that's not an easy thing to do, even though, yes, your camera is better and we can see it, da, 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 all that stuff. But um, it takes like a pretty good, I mean, Herzog's not a bad filmmaker. Don't know if people know that. He's all right. Um, and it just <laughs> take. takes someone. Yeah. Yeah. Hot take. It's, it's what I do. Um, but it takes someone like a, a skilled filmmaker like him to really have you feel like each character and with not like a crazy amount of dialogue either. Um, which I which I always find really impressive because we we've talked about this many times on the on the podcast before of like we both prefer that that whole you know show don't tell kind of thing mm-hmm. and this movie really does that like like you said they just leave the camera and they just let they just let it happen and we take everything in and and there's great rewatch value in that too because you can go back and kind of focus maybe in on something else but like yeah it's really incredible the way that they can bring it all together and in a sense, like I don't want to say improve on the 1922 version, but it's just making it feel that much more real to us. Yeah. I, I also really want to call out the the performances in this version because mm-hmm. it's so good. Because you, you've got Klaus Kinski, and you know, I've referenced him already. If you've if you've seen other Herzog movies, whether it's like Aguera, The Wrath of God, or Fritz Corraldo, or For a Few Dollars More, like he he has been in a, in a ton of really high profile German films and and some Hollywood mm-hmm. films as well. Playing this vampire, I think he has like a, a really creepy sexual energy to him, which. I'm, the original one does not have, but if you look at more <laughs> versions of, of Dracula movies, that's sort of a key component to the character is he has this sort of sensual, sexual energy to him that is very unnerving. And we get all these shots of him where he's wearing like an all black cloak and they're doing such a good job with the lighting where it's basically like a, a spotlight on his face. So he basically looks like a disembodied head where all you sort of see is this like creepy pointy ears and his sharp fangs and his, his like hook nose and all this sort of stuff. And it's just very unnerving watching him because you see him like standing up against a brick wall, but you can't see anything. All you see is his face and it's just so unnatural to look at because he's, he's painted so white and he does such a great job with this character. And then you've got Bruno Ganz who, who's Jonathan Harker, who is also like a legendary actor in his own right. Most people probably know him as uh, for playing Hitler in the movie downfall. Um, but it was so good, especially I don't want to spoil the ending of this, but the the, the movie goes basically mm-hmm. ends where the first Nosferatu ends, but then it like goes on for an additional like 10 minutes. And it's just that little extra little bit character development that kind of brings a lot more horror to the movie, in my opinion. 
I we won't get into it. But I love the ending of this one. Yeah. Like, I absolutely love it. I love that little, and it it almost seems like an obvious ending, but it it's kind of not at the same time. Like I love it. Like it's it's not necessarily like I guess it's kind of a twist or it's like a reveal, but it's it really is a it's very well done because like the ending is probably the hardest part for a movie sometimes. Like just to tie everything together. Um, but yeah, the, I, I also want to say like Isabel Ajani, she's incredible mm. as well as Lucy and, and like, it's, it's, it's just a very, very well done movie. And I find, I find it funny when you talk about like the sexiness of Dracula, like, cause it's, it's weird sexy in this movie. Like it's kind of an unsettling sexy. And then yeah. we move to like the nineties where it's Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and in interview with the vampire. Yeah. Where it's like but even something like Gary sexy. Oldman as well. <laughs> yeah. In, in, in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Bram Stoker's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting uh, the way that goes through, but yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that this movie, it's, it's really, really well done from, from the filmmaking perspective and the performances as well. And Klaus Kinski, actually, I'm not as familiar with him as you are. Like I, I recognize him. I've seen him in maybe a couple things, but I should probably go in and, and watch more of his stuff. Well, him, he did like a dozen movies with Herzog. Like they did everything, together, yeah. even though they, they reportedly hated each other. Uh, Cause Kinski's absolutely balls to the wall insane. And the only person that rivals him for insanity is Herzog. Yeah, maybe it's like, like they hated each other, but they it's like like besties who like yeah. they're frenemies. That's what it is. They're the original frenemies. I read that um, how Herzog got the performance out of Kinski that he wanted because Kinski's very known for being like this over the top scenery chewing, where he's always want always wants to be yelling and sort of insane. So what he would do mm-hmm. is before he was uh, they were ready to shoot their scene he would get into a big blow up with him where they would be yelling and screaming at each other for 10, 15 <sighs> minutes about how they want the the scene to go. And then he'd be like, okay, now we're ready to film. And then by that point, Kinski <laughs> was exhausted from arguing with him. And so he gives this very subtle, restrained, creepy performance. And that's what he wanted. <laughs> that's funny. That's yeah. really funny. Yeah. I got, I got to watch more of their stuff. Like I, I haven't seen, I haven't seen um I haven't seen enough of their collaborations. Yeah, I've only seen Aguirre, The Wrath of God, and, and that's a really good one where he's sort of this like insane conquistador who is like willing to doom his entire crew just for a chance of glory for himself. Interesting. Uh, and then the last performance I want to shout out is uh, Roland Topar, who plays the Renfield character, which is uh, Jonathan Harker's boss at the, we'll call it a real estate company, uh, <laughs> who goes insane and he has this like manic little laugh and he gets imprisoned and like he's like just doing this like really creepy unnatural like he 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 sort of laughter and it's just like <laughs> what is wrong with this guy but it works it, it's it's very creepy and unnerving <laughs> der meister ist hier <laughs> That's so Herzog in my, because he is a very, like Herzog as a man to me is like a very, um, he's like a very adorable, creepy man. (laughs) And so it kind of makes sense to me that like his characters are kind of cute, but they're creepy. Like, you know, the laugh is cute, but it's creepy. Like it's a very unsettling, the whole thing. I mean, I mean, that's the point, right? Of Nosferatu and then the vampire, the Dracula story in general. It's like, it's, it's very, 
appealing, but in a very, very unsettling way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, uh, let's let's move on to the the last one, and then we can kind of connect any dots we 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 see fit, and that's uh, Shadow of the Vampire. So, as I said at the beginning, it is uh, basically a movie about a movie. So there there was a rumor that Max Schreck, who plays Count Orlock, was actually a vampire. His performance was that good; people were convinced he was a literal vampire, and so they decided to make a movie. Well, what if that was true? What would that look like? Um, and obviously, if you, with the benefit of the internet now, you can see that Max Schreck was a very decorated theater performer. He acted in movies both before and after Nosferatu. Like, he was just a, a well-respected veteran of the German industry. And and so we know that's fake. So you, you sort of go into this movie being like, all right, it, we're, we're going on a whim and a bit of a supposition here of, of how this all sort of works out. Uh, but it's, it's basically the Willem Dafoe show uh, of mm-hmm. <laughs> chewing the scenery. And apparently because of this, this is why he got cast as Green Goblin in the Spider-Man movies. <laughs> so uh, take that as you will. I didn't know that. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, I think he's in, there's nobody else that could have been Green Goblin. Like, anyways, we're not talking about Green Goblin. But it's funny you say that he's the one chewing the scenery. To me, it's John Malkovich, who's just, I mean, that's John Malkovich, generally speaking. And this is the way he is. Like, he's, he's nuts. He's crazy. <laughs> but I, I really love this movie. I just thought it was so fun. And you said to me, like, you were like, it's a very 90s, movie and i would agree with that maybe that's why i like it so much because i do enjoy the 90s style of film um but there's just something there's such a like a you know i like i I had mentioned it before i had spoken or i had um i had been listening to that podcast about um method acting and it's like such a bonkers kind of concept and it and it does take acting to be maybe a bit self-important and you know, whatever and all that kind of, like all the all the stereotypes that people want to throw at actors and things like that. And I just love how this movie takes all of that into like it's basically a satire of method acting and, and filmmaking in general. But then you wrap it up and be like, oh no, he's actually in this case, he's actually a vampire. Like it, it is real. Like he is genuinely a vampire. But at the beginning, so again, I didn't know anything about it. So at the beginning, I genuinely thought he was just like a method actor. And I was like, he's so funny. Cause like, he was just like reading the thing and I'm like, this guy, he's like so deep into it. And then all of a sudden he gets thrown like, okay, read this thing. And then he's like, wait, hold on. Like what, what am I reading here? And it just made me laugh. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was such a funny, I thought it was really funny. Maybe it's our sense of humors are differing here. Yeah, I I think for me the issue <laughs> is the 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 technique of the filmmaking. So I found that this was not dense enough of, of a, a plot movie where you basically you jump right in. They're already filming this movie, and it's literally just takes place over a few weeks or however long the the, the shooting was of of the original Nosferatu, and that's it. We don't really get any sort of backstory. We don't. We, we see nothing outside of what's going on on the set. And, and that inherently isn't wrong. The issue is I don't think that there's enough there to really drive the plot. So it just sort of mm-hmm. left me wanting a bit more. And then there is, uh, I, I wish, I wish there was a little bit more ambiguity about whether or not 
Defoe was actually a vampire because I think they do a good enough job a lot of the time of creating doubt. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's stuff about like um the the actress who is playing Greta Schroeder, who's played by Catherine McCormick, who is a uh opioid addict where she's clearly taking some sort of, of heroin or morphine. I can't remember exact laudanum, I think is what they're they, they were calling yeah, it. And I think they do a really good job of sort of playing up the, you know, this idea of she's going through withdrawal, she's an addict, so you can't really trust her perspective of what she's seeing. And I thought that they were going to sort of play that up a little bit more. And then the idea of the method acting, I really like that idea. And I, and I think they could have played that up a bit more to seem, to make it seem more realistic. Like I really wished that it wasn't revealed that he was, a vampire until the final attack on, on Greta basically where it sort of, it, it almost could have been uh, an interesting allegory. I know this is about 20 years prior to the me too move movement, but he keeps talking about how the only payment that he wants is that he wants Greta mm-hmm. and that he was going to have her. And I thought that would have, they were making an interesting uh, allusion to the way female actors are treated by the film community where they are just a commodity. And, and, and I thought that that was sort of an interesting idea that they were exploring, but it turns out that they weren't really exploring that at all. So I don't know. I, I liked it. I thought the performances Malkovich was, I thought was very good. I thought Willem Dafoe went, was a little too much at some points, but still I thought was overall was very good. Um, I thought, uh, Eddie Izzard was wildly miscast in this movie. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, like it, it's, it's a fine enough movie for me, but do, do you think that what I'm saying there, does that like, did you feel any of that or, or am I sort of off base? So, okay. I, I think I agree. Like, I think that if you want to make it a more like sophisticated movie in a sense, like a more polished film. I think mm-hmm. you do exactly what you just said. Like you, you dig a bit deeper into the themes of, um, you know, Gre- the, the, the point about Greta and the way that she's used by uh, as, as currency, right? Like as, as a commodity, like you said, I think that's really interesting in that like, yeah, you can dig into that. Um, you know, suspending the idea that, or suspending the um, the reveal that he is an actual vampire until the end, like that makes for a really interesting plot twist, almost like a, a nice kind of cool reveal for the for the very very end of the film. But, and I think that the, that's valid. Like, I think that it's valid to want better from a movie because it would make it a, a more cohesive kind of film. But I also just as we took into the time period of 1922 and 1979, it's like movies even 20 years ago weren't made with such, like they weren't meant to be like deep thought exercises all the time. Some were, sure, some were, mm-hmm. but a lot of movies were just made to be kind of like, they're just kind of made to be fun in a sense and not, you know, nothing like there, people have talked about that. Like how come today, horror movies aren't just horror movies. Horror movies today always need to have some sort of really deep clawing meaning behind it that we talk about society and race and, you know, uh, socioeconomic imbalances, gender imbalances, all that kind of stuff. 
and people say that with comedy as well. Like comedy now has to be really clever and satirical and those things. But there was a time when I think this pre nine eleven, when we were making <laughs> movies, when movies were being made, and you could just kind of be a bit ridiculous and you could just be a bit broad, and it didn't need to be polished. It didn't need to be, um, you know, think tanks. Like they could just be entertaining films to watch, and that's what I really took from this one, which is just it's a funny movie and it's kind of dumb. And yes, there's a lot that if you wanted to make it a quote unquote, like critically good movie, an objective good movie, <laughs> you would change a lot about it, especially with the, the filmmaking techniques and the storytelling techniques that we have today. But I think for the time period, like it's 2000, so we can kind of safely call it a nineties movie still. Yeah. You know, the, the type of movie that was being made then was, it was just for sheer enjoyment. And it it does point like at the absurdity of filmmaking and that industry, um, and it does you know point to the way that I, I uh, one of the bits that you said you know why not leave the reveal that he's he's an actual vampire to the end, I think it lends a really strong comedic value that John Malkovich is in like and we know he is aware that the guy's actually real and that they are about to sacrifice you know, the only female that's on set for him. And like, there is an absurdity to it that Malkovich plays really, really well as the director. Cause he's so calm and everything. Well, not all the time. Sometimes he's a bit shouty cause he's John Malkovich and he's shouty, <laughs> but there's like, you know, that last bit where he's just so calm in the way that he's saying things. Cause he doesn't give a shit that a bunch of people died that like, he just, you know, endangered the lives of his entire crew and cast just to make a movie. And that's incredibly absurd. Um, and yeah, so for, for me, it's just, if you take the time period of it, it doesn't need to be super polished. It just needs to be an entertaining film. And I think it really is. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. I think I think it's just maybe the expectation I was wanting to get out of the movie versus what it actually mm-hmm. was. And, and maybe that's just me sort of coming out of back-to-back really interesting movies mm-hmm. And, and just sort of being let down a little bit, even if there is some really good stuff happening in it. The tone of this one is completely different to the other two, isn't it? Like, but I, I think, so for the record, Dakota picked these three movies for us to watch. Um, so you, there's a lot of like Dracula movies or Nosferatu kind of type movies that we could have done. But like, you know, I thought this was an excellent three triple pairing, if you will. Um because it does show the exact same story, but from different angles, different time periods. But you're right. Like if you don't know, um, I assume like you kind of like me, you just went into it a bit blind. Like we just watched the movie without. Yeah. So if you come after thinking, Oh, it's going to be in like a two thousands version of Nosferatu, then yeah, this is not that movie. It's a, it's a very, very different movie. But as I said, I think it's very much so in keeping with, the time period, the filmmaking time period, um, and exemplifies it perfectly, just as the 1922 version did, just as the 1979 version did. Yeah. Okay. I I think I think that's that's fair. And like John Malkovich and and Willem Dafoe do do give some pretty great performances in this. They yeah. are very over the top. You can't have a movie that uh, features Malkovich and Dafoe where they're not trying to one up each other because that's that's basically impossible with the yeah. type of actors that they are. 
And they're weird. Like they're they're weird yes. people, the two of them. Like I've seen enough interviews between the two of them. Like they're weird. And it's it's funny because <laughs> we were talking about like the um the Herzog version and saying like it's very unsettling creepiness to them and but it's it and it's kind of like a haunting, cute just weird. But this is weird in a very different way. Like this yeah. like these guys are weird in in I suppose a more modern way. Like they're just they're kind of odd. It's not necessarily unsettling. They're just weird. And um, yeah, I, I love that. I will say the accents, like, cause they were all trying to do German. Oh my God. Those were terrible. I will say <sighs> it was really, really bad. <laughs> it, it was really bad. Um, Willem Dafoe's Carrie, I thought was fine. Carrie Els. How did, how did you say his last name actually? Els? Uh, yeah. Carrie, Carrie Elwes. I think it is. Elwes. Yeah. I never knew how to say that. His yeah. accent is atrocious i love him yeah. dearly like he's been a part of some really really great movies that i adore but um his german accent was absolutely atrocious to the point that i thought that he was still supposed to be british because he is actually british in real life um but i i thought he was kind of british but like a little off british yeah. i shouldn't say off british like just maybe a, a, a <laughs> bit of a regional like a regional dialect and then yeah. i was like oh no i think he's trying to do like a german Accent, His character's is... name was Fritz Wagner. Fritz. Uh, I don't think you can get yeah. more German name than that. <laughs> like, like from Birmingham or something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. And Eddie Izzard basically didn't try doing an accent no, at all. He, he just didn't. sort of kept his British accent and just made it a bit softer. Which all that is sort of like combined, where you have Udo Kier, who's a legendary yeah. German actor, have a pretty big part in this movie and be like the only <laughs> real German. And I'm sure he was probably just like biting his tongue the entire movie of like, oh my god, these people all sound ridiculous. But also, like again, I think it just adds to this idea of like it's a ridiculous <laughs> movie, like it's an absurd movie. But I think that's the point. Like I really do think that's the point, and that it's not meant to be taken that seriously. Like you know, I mean, we've seen what was that movie um, with Tom Cruise, Valkyrie? I think it's just called Valkyrie, right? Oh yeah. And he plays a German, and at the beginning, the the movie starts off with like someone's reading a letter in German and then all of a sudden Tom Cruise's American accent just comes through. And that is supposed to be a serious <laughs> movie. Like that is genuinely supposed to be a very serious, very like, you know, dramatic film. And in those instances, I'm always like, what the hell is this? So weird. But in this type of movie where it is just weird and it is just out there, I don't mind it. Like I'm not that pulled away by the fact that they have silly accents. Like, we could probably do better German accents. Not that I'm saying we should try, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, we need Matthew here to do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what did, when you're watching it, I swore that the guy playing the cameraman was Alan Rickman and yes! was trying oh to figure God. out, I'm like, is that Alan Rickman? I didn't see his name in the opening credits. And, and Stephanie was like, I, yeah, yeah I, I think it kind of looks like him. I was like, no, that has to be Alan Rickman. And so I'm like pulling up IMDb and I'm scrolling through and be like, is he uncredited? What's going on here? And then like, I couldn't figure it out. And finally I was like, okay, I need to go basically person by person to figure out who this person is. And it's an actor named Ronan Vibert. And you look at him and he looks <laughs> identical to Alan Rickman. Identical. Look him up. I swear. Ronan Vibert. I, I know. I had the ex like literally the exact same thought process as you. When he first came on, I went, I didn't know Alan Rickman was in this movie. I said, that's interesting. Then he spoke and I kind of went, 
is that Alan Rickman though? Because it doesn't. Because Alan Rickman <laughs> had like an incredibly distinct voice, and I was like, "Yes, is it?" But then also, kind of what we were talking about—really bad German accent. So I go, "Is Alan Rickman just doing like a like a shitty German accent? Maybe that that's that's what he's doing." Is he doing like, no, his but- Hans uh, Gruber accent again? <laughs> oh God! Oh right, I forgot he did that. <laughs> He, he has done his German, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But it was just like, and it was much things. better than anything in this movie. It's very, very true. And that, and it wasn't. It still wasn't a good accent. No. <laughs> but I, I literally went through the exact same, and I, and I looked. I pulled up the, I pulled up the wiki because I'm, I'm a wiki girl. I'm not too much of an IMDb girl, and I like, I went through each person, and I was like, okay, and I even like. Even actors who I knew who they were, I still double checked it because I'm like, who is this? Because I'm like, <laughs> is there, this there John is something. <laughs> because I was like, there is something weird going on here. I'm like, that has to be Alan Rickman, but some like, who is this man? And yeah. then yeah, and then I I came across like Run. I looked him up too, and I go, wow, he really does look like Alan Rickman. Like, but like not. And he's British like, there's, too. There's, yeah, it's so strange. It's very very strange. But I said I said this to you on um, when I was messaging you about it. But like that. The movie poster on Wiki, like speaking of thinking somebody was in the movie and they weren't, I genuinely thought John Travolta was in this movie because when I looked up the <laughs> movies, I, I just wanted to make sure that I was like pulling the right films. And so I, I looked up the Wiki on it and I see the movie poster on Wiki and there's two men. There's like one big face and then Nosferatu and mm-hmm. the big face I really thought that was John Travolta. And so in my head, I went, oh, John Travolta did a vampire movie. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> so when we were, I was watching the movie and like it's going through and it's going through and I go, oh, like 30 minutes into this. And I was like, where's John Travolta? At? I was like, Johnny T. I was like, not even in this movie. And then even still, I look at the, I'm looking at the movie poster now. I can accept that that's meant to be John Malkovich. It does not look like John Malkovich. It does. It really no. Reminds me of a movie poster that John Travolta did have where they made his eyes super, super blue. And I don't know what movie that is, but it looks like John Travolta. And it, so it was one of those things watching this movie of one, I thought John Travolta was coming in. And then two, I thought Alan Rickman was in it. And I go, wow, this is a crazy movie. <laughs> like the 90s were a wild time, weren't they? <laughs> Just John Travolta and, and you got all these people in it. And then, yeah, John Travolta never shows up for anybody wondering. He is not in this movie. <laughs> it's, it's, there's no doesn't it look like him though like it, the, it, it the sort of does like a, a sort of a, a slimmer face because john travolta has a very round head he does uh, yeah, like the way yeah, it's cropped yeah. you can you can you can imagine it i thought it was john travolta <laughs> it was kind of disappointed uh, i was like oh there's no john travolta in this <laughs> uh the last thing i sort of want to talk about for this movie is the director e elias mergy or however you say his name um this guy basically just disappeared off the face of the earth he's directed three movies uh sort of like not quite a student film but an experimental film in 1989 called begotten shadow of the vampire in 2000 and then suspect zero in 2004 and hasn't done anything since um so i have no idea what this guy did like i know suspect zero I remember when it came out, I remember seeing the poster and the movie mm-hmm. up in Blockbuster and all that sort of stuff. So I imagine it was, you know, did well enough business-wise, but I know it wasn't well-received. But Shadow of the Vampire got two Oscar nominations, including one for Willem Dafoe and the other one for Best Makeup and Hairstyling. I, it, like, confuses me when, like, you look up someone and be like, oh, what else did this person do? Oh, nothing. Nothing, nothing else. 
Well, I mean, looking at Suspect Zero, so I, I've never seen it. The movie poster does look very, very familiar, um, but I, I don't think I've ever watched it. But it's it, just looking at it now, it says it bombed at the box office, only made $11 million, and it was like a Tom Cruise production, randomly. Mm-hmm. Um, like it starred Aaron so, Eckhart and Ben Kingsley and Carrie Ann Moss. Aaron Moss, big, big, big name. Well, yeah. Aaron Eckhart was a big name back then too, but it's just maybe, maybe, um, maybe Tom Cruise blacklisted him. Maybe Tom Cruise wasn't <laughs> having any of it. You maybe. know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's one of those p- things where he's, he's like a sensitive man to his art. And so he had one thing fail and couldn't quite get back on that horse. Yeah. Who knows? Interesting. Uh, okay. Let's, um, let's sort of tie these three movies together how how did you feel watching all three of them in such short succession and whether or not they there was any sort of uh, cohesive themes or feelings between it all? I think it's, it's, like I said, I think it's a great triple billing pairing. It's not pairing. Pairing is two. A triple, it's a triplet. It's a good triplet to, to, to watch together because, um, like I said, I, I just think it, it, takes a very very classic story like the bram stoker's um dracula that came out in that was published i think in i want to say 1897 that year is something like that yeah for some reason um and it's a classic story that we have seen many many times over like might not be exactly the nosferatu story or the the dracula story but we we know dracula as a character we know vampires as a thing like a type and to me, when you put these three movies, it is not only just interesting to watch as a looking at the same story from three different perspectives, but to me, it's just interesting to see um, as, you know, shifting through film history. And it's, I think it's always nice when you're able to say like, as much as I, I, I bemoan, you know, remakes and reboots and all that kind of stuff, because I feel like that's all we ever do anymore. When I say we, I mean the film industry. Um, but I do like when we have certain things like, you know, like Nosferatu, even like um, uh, uh, A Star is Born, something like that. Like something that is, keeps getting remade, but in different decades and different time periods, mm-hmm. because it's very fascinating to see people like the different interpretations and the improvements in filmmaking is one thing. But to me, what's more interesting is just the way that the story gets told. Um, and like, if we were to do, if they were to do another one today, it would literally be what you said, which is, you know, the more polished version, it would be very thematic. It would have a lot of, you know, let's talk about women and and the way that they're treated. And let's, I mean, it would probably even have, um, like an anti-Semitic theme as well, because that's something that Mm -hmm. we, we didn't talk about it, but like, that's something that people have always brought up about the Nosferatu, um, depiction in the german films um so i i love that like i love that there's a through line throughout film history um for this story that we keep getting to see different interpretations of it and i do hope so actually somebody does another one or sorry someone is doing another one there is, yeah that's about? That's yeah. what I was going to bring up next is you're absolutely yeah. right. Robert Eggers has, has for years teased the yeah. idea that this was going to be a movie that he was going to remake. And I, and I think his style works especially well yeah. with the idea of this. And, and so like you were saying, the idea of, of, of remakes inherently are not bad in and of themselves. If you have 
an interesting take or a fresh idea to present a story. There is nothing wrong with telling the same story. It's, it's why you can have a hundred Shakespeare adaptations because everyone sort of brings their own flair to it. Mm-hmm. But it's when you are needlessly sort of just recreating something for the sake of it's a name brand recognition. It's going to bring in money. That's where the issues sort of go. And so I think having someone like Robert Eggers, who already has a, a gothic style to his yeah. films, as we've seen with The Witch and The Lighthouse, he's the perfect person to sort of do this. And frankly, I'd be disappointed if it was anyone other than Robert Eggers doing it. And and we know that Bill Skarsgård is going to be playing Nosferatu, which I think is going to be excellent casting. He already has that sort of creepy energy around him with him playing Pennywise in the It films. Uh, And then we've got Lily Rose Depp, who is announced to be playing um, the, the... I'm going to call it Greta Schroeder, but uh, what uh, the the Lucy Harker or Mina Harker, depending on what adaptation of Dracula you're going with, the Mrs. Harker role. And then Nicholas Holt is rumored to be in it. I'm guessing he would probably be the Jonathan Harker role. And no Harry Styles, which actually, yeah, my question was going to be, or my question for you, like, do you know if that's going under Universal again? like like the northman was or is that is, he's not going back to a24 though uh i don't know i don't i don't think that's been announced or anything like that so yeah i i, I honestly don't know I, I don't i don't think he's gonna go for as big of a studio i don't know if a24 is going to distribute it or produce it mm-hmm. uh but that is definitely something that's going to be something to uh to pay attention to because i know he he had an unpleasant time while working on the northman <laughs> due to the studio interfer- interference he got. Yeah, I mean, it's. I completely agree with you, though. I think that Robert Eggers is a per- the perfect um, director to to do something like this. And um, well, Ari Aster could have made an interesting one, too, actually. But it does have that feel, like the feel of, of what those guys do, of, of, you know, what we talk endlessly about on another series on the show, which is like that a 24 feel and Nosferatu definitely has that. Like it's, it would be a perfect home for a movie like that. Um, But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And I, I do think, you know, what you said about remakes, it's, they're not inherently bad. It's just the purpose of people remaking stuff today is, is a little bit, it's just too commercialized. I suppose now like decisions are being made like that, but hopefully this one will be interesting and like, and I, I think it will be like, I think it'll be a really kind of dreary, gothic, artistic. It won't be like Shadow of a Vampire. I don't I don't see Robert Eggers doing a movie like that. Or maybe like a really meta, like a downtrodden meta movie. <laughs> that would be interesting for sure. I would watch that. <laughs> Although I would miss the... See, I like that's the thing though. I do miss just like, you know, the general entertainment value of films. Because now I feel like every movie needs to be it needs to have a point and it needs to have a theme. This was after me saying Tusk had no point. What was the point of that movie? <laughs> so to be fair, I'm not as playful as all that. I suppose. Yeah, I guess not. Uh, okay. I, I sort of feel like that, that maybe wraps up our conversation on this. Do you have any last parting thoughts on uh, our Halloween special this year? No, it's great choice though by you. I think that this was like Nosferatu was. I, we were debating between something else. I feel like yeah, I can't remember what I, it was I put now. together a few different options um, mm-hmm. of, of ones that might be interesting. Whether it was, I think I, I did like uh, Dario Argento or Giallo. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The first 
of long running franchises so stuff like nightmare on elm street friday the 13th all that sort of stuff where just sort of looking at the originals and seeing how they they stand yeah. up um but yeah i i really like this idea i know it's similar to when i did the the dracula episode which i'll link to that in the show notes in case people want to check that out but that was very much on a make remake scale of being like let's compare how they did you know this character and, and that sort of stuff and telling the story whereas this was, is is a different kind of conversation Definitely. And like I said, I've said it, I think, twice now, um, three movies that go together really, really well. So if anybody's looking for, you know, some fun October spooky month stuff to watch, um, that is an excellent day or an evening in maybe not an evening, like a whole day. But to also know that Shadow of the Vampire is not that serious. So don't don't do it. Dakota didn't think it was serious. <laughs> Well, I think that wraps up our episode here today. Rachel, I know we did a whole lot of housekeeping uh, promotion for you at the beginning, but is there anything else you want to promote or uh, and, and where can people find you and your work? Um, I'm going to change it up now and I'm going to point everyone to go to the AsianCut.com. Asian spelt normally, A-S-I-A-N. Um, and yeah, go check that website out and hopefully people find things like interesting things and different movies to watch. Uh, we're also on Insta. We're on Twitter at the Asian cut, all one word. And then on Instagram with dots in between the Asian and cut. So you can follow us on there. Is there other ways to spell Asian? Cause you said the, the regular way to spell Asian. Is there a, is there a different oh, way? Yeah. Well, see, this is, this is why you can't write for us. Cause you don't know what the other way to write it would be. Um, growing up, apparently this is a very generational thing, but AZN oh, used to, that oh, we, no, used to no, we used to do that a no, lot. No, 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 no. Don't take my culture away from me, Dakota. <laughs> okay. This, so I, a little bit, I was trying to decide like a name for the site and I really wanted to use AZN no. like somewhere in there. Um, because it is so tied to um, like the diaspora, yeah. the diaspora, sorry, I always say the word wrong, the diaspora side of the Asian thing. And um, but then I discovered that uh, very sadly, it is a very generational thing. And it never carried on to a younger generation. Like they have no idea what we're talking about when we whenever we use that. But for us, like in the millennial yeah. group, um, it was very, very common when we were in high school to use that. So yeah, I, I wanted to use it, but it just it ended up not translating very well, generationally speaking. And also, I had told another white guy this, and he thought I was talking about, like, Arizona. <laughs> or I think well, there was another thing that he thought I was talking about. But basically, it, it never occurred to him that it was supposed to be Asian. So I was like, all right, forget it. We're not using this. Maybe then. just because I've um, always hated yeah. it uh misspelling words and shortening them and using slang like you 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 and i message each other a lot i use proper grammar and punctuation for my text messages um so maybe i do too you, you and i both oh, do I that. actually do. now that i noticed that yeah. yeah you and i both type properly yeah. yeah we do like my but you know you can just say that you don't like asian culture oh, shut up. and that's fine <laughs> Just say that and just leave it at that. And uh, that's another episode of ContraZoom wrapped up for the week. So we're just going to ignore the fact that uh, I, I've done several episodes celebrating Asian cinema, right? We're, we're just going to ignore this right now? 
I mean, if you think that that's enough, oh, then that's fine. Oh, if you think that that's you enough. know what, I think I, I think I am going to wrap this up before you get me into any real trouble here uh, with your vicious lies. Uh, you, hey, I'm not the one who said that I hated Asian culture. So <laughs> neither did I. That's on you. That's on you. That's on you. <laughs> you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. If you have seen any versions of the Nosferatu films, let us know your thoughts. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And if you like listening to this show, consider tipping us on coffee. It would really mean a lot. Thanks for checking us out. Thank mm-hmm. you.